I did not touch a club from end of 2009, probably through 2016. Wow. 2017. Yeah. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another hard train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. I got Matt Cermak with me. What's up, Ev? It's great to be back. I tell you what, I can sense it over there and you are fired up. I'm fired the fuck up, sir. I'm all right. You, I don't know Look how out. you do it. I don't know how you do it. You tend to bring on these guys that you grew up with that are from Chicago that nobody knows. And they're some of the best conversations we've had on the pod. We're going to get to that in a second. But in case you guys are new, welcome aboard. We help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again. Because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We unpack the mental game with anyone from a PJ Tour pro to a sports psychologist and a golfer like you and me. And today is no different. But first, we got to thank our friends. This episode, like every episode, is presented by Roback Activewear. And Serm, right now, they've got the early access Black Friday yep, sale, which is 20% off. The, really, the only time of the year you guys are ever going to get 20% off. Um, here's what you got to do. Go to our bio on Instagram, at the Partrain. Click the link in our bio. And you can get 20% off. What I put on Instagram, Serm, is my three favorite things. Because you got to load up right now, right? Take advantage of the big sale. My favorite things right now are the crew neck sweatshirts. Love it. Because I can wear it in golf. It's amazing to dress up at any occasion. They're a little bit warmer than the hoodies. And obviously it's a little bit dressed up, but you can wear them on their own to be dressed down. So I just love the crew necks. They totally crushed it with them. By the way, they don't have the, the dog on the shoulder. It's a little bit more subdued at the bottom of the shirt. And so... On the front, they used, to, they used to do that though. So they're kind of going back a little they're bit, going back and cool. forth, yeah. but I like it because it's understated and you can wear it up. You can dress it up, dress it down. So the crew neck sweatshirts, I'd highly recommend. Obviously the hoodies and Q-zips and polos are a given, but the new trade wind performance t-shirt, it's a softer yeah. tee, you, similar you to the crew neck. About that. Yeah. It's an amazing fit. It fits me better than Viore. And I love the wow. shirts that are basically like a workout feel, but they, you can wear them in anything. So the trade wind performance yep. tees and then the new golf pants I love. Well, and last thing I'll say too is, you know, have you seen the new Shy Town print polo? Oh. <laughs> Someone's and, excited. And our our boy Brett, I think he he snagged the was it the Ohio? The Ohio, yeah. Ohio polo. So shout out Brett. So these these prints, these towns, the cities they do, so great. I gotta get it. I mean, that shy flag, is that sharp? Wow. It's pretty nice. I mean, for you, are you're more are you more of a Q zip polo guy than a crew neck polo guy? Yes. Yeah. yeah traditionally. But I do have one of the, I got the, the crew neck that I wore all fall golf this year. So yep. go get robot. So guys. if you guys are listening to this around Black Friday, tap the link in our bio at the par train and it'll link right to the site. If you are listening to this way after Black Friday, just enter the code train and get 15% off if you haven't done it before. That's us do easier. it. All right, Sarm, you did it again. I mean, Larry <laughs> Blatt, what a story. The guy's 36, yeah. played at Ole Miss, and then transferred to Illinois to play for Mike Small, one of the greatest coaches in college. Lost his passion for D1 golf, worked as a, a, a stock trader, stock market trader, didn't touch a club. Let me see if I get this right. From 2009 to 2018, didn't touch a club. And now he's going pro. After winning a couple tournaments, amateur tournaments, it's pretty Crazy. incredible, right? So we've, we, guys, you're gonna love this episode. You know, Larry's a, an old friend, a guy I grew up playing with. My, our families grew up playing together, um, competed against each other, and 
I've seen Larry a little bit over the last couple of years and reconnected with him and now about his journey. Cause like you said, Ev, he kind of gave up the game. Passion got reignited, won a couple of tournaments, really big amateur tournaments, and then said at 34 or 33, I'm going to turn pro. He didn't turn pro after college and try then even. So guys, this is a great talk. Larry is Larry's awesome. I've always admired Larry's. He's got a great golf swing, his work ethic, but boy, does he not dig into some really cool stuff about what's clicked around his mental game. Um, the things he's working on with his mental coach, why he's got a leg up. He believes on the younger generation, because look, he's 36. He's going against 22, 23 year olds. Maybe they hit it a little farther, but like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil it guys. This is an incredible look in to a really, really um, interesting journey for Larry. And I'm so excited for him. And, uh, he talks about his him all the moment. success that he can get because he's so, he's so motivated. And you're going to feel that, guys. Yeah, you're going to get fired up. He actually said he listens to our LFG episodes. This felt like an LFG episode because yeah, he fires you up. I think what's cool too is he talks about his lowest moment on the golf course. Yeah, shooting an 87, um, in college. He talks through that, but he has a habit and a pattern that we all need to remember. Of after the worst moments, he sometimes he somehow finds a way to get the best out of them. And so everybody needs to stay tuned for that nugget. I think this was refreshing too, because so many times you hear golfers going through terrible struggles and quitting. But Larry's kind of doing the opposite. Mm-hmm. He just had an interest in, in another career and then found it later. And he really has belief that he can do it. And I believe he can do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. After to this, and after listening to this, I think whoever's listening is going to believe they can do it. I believe uh, that I can do it uh, a little bit more after listening to this. A hundred percent guys, you're going to love this episode. So uh, tune in. Yeah, great so thank you guys as always for hopping aboard the train. We appreciate every one of our loyal passengers. If this episode fires you up as much as we think it is, Give us a solid and a review at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hop aboard our YouTube channel at The Par Train. Our email newsletter, it's free every Monday at thepartrain.com. We've got a lot of great merchandise drops coming. Make sure you're on that email list to get first access to those merchandise drops because we're probably going to sell out via email before we even get to Instagram. Seen that Um, before. So make sure you're on the email list at thepartrain.com. And no matter if you quit the game for nine years, or you're thinking about quitting the game for the last nine years and you don't, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. Thanks, guys. Larry Blatt, welcome aboard the PAR train. My man, we're pumped to have you. What's up, Larry? What's up, Matt? Guys, thanks for having me. Super pumped to be here. Really excited for this. So, Larry, we're, you've got an amazing story. We're going to dig into it. But first, I just got to know, Larry, Like, you grew up with the Cermax. What was it like? Going into a tournament, you're 12 years old, and you see Cermax in the tournament. Are you are you intimidated? Are you excited because you're gonna bury him into the ground? Like, what's what's the mindset like for the our fellow passengers on the train right now that want to know what it's like to grow up playing tournaments against the Cermak family, the four boys? Absolutely. I remember 12 years old, my first junior golf tournament with the Illinois Junior Golf Association. I believe it was Poplar Creek, maybe the Tournament of Champions, Matt. Yeah. And I was there with my mom, and I think we ran into you guys in the pro shop, maybe a rain delay or something. And then I think we were paired together. 
that day, right? Yeah. And ever since then, I've known the Cermax, and I, over time, ended up competing against your brother quite a bit in the junior golf and then into college. So, yeah, I've known you guys for a long time, and we've reconnected, what, maybe four years ago, three years ago? Yeah. Um, I think so, it yeah. It might have been a Poplar Creek, too. It all came full circle, Larry, because I know we <laughs> ran into each other like the St. Pat's function. But oh, yeah. in terms of yeah. golf, it was at Poplar Creek in the the big uh, the big scramble, the big money scramble we do. <laughs> that's where we read, but that's where it all started, Matt, when we I were know. 12. Yeah. 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 So that <laughs> that's pretty cool. I still remember that day. And then I know our moms, like when we were traveling to different tournaments, our moms would always talk. And yep. yeah, so pretty cool. So Good, what Matt. was the feeling when you saw Cermak in a tournament? Well, <laughs> I didn't ready, that's the first time I met him? them. And then I feel like I haven't seen the Cermax for a while, but ever, I mean, now Joe, he was intimidating. Joe's a tough, <laughs> tough dude on the golf course. Intense, but yeah. uh, We've had some good competition back in the junior days, me and Joe, I know for sure. Larry and I um, were just having fun out there because yeah, there was about like two years we played together and then like that was IJGA events. <laughs> you know, we were Absolutely. Just, right. And then a little bit in high school, but um, yeah, it's fun to look back. It's great to have you here, Larry. You know, we're really excited to talk to you today because your story is a little different. You know, you're a great junior player, division one at U of I, and now you're chasing the dream. You know, your last two yep. years, you've been on, you know, the mini tours and doing different qualifiers and things like that. But, but Larry, this is a non-traditional route. Most guys after college go pro, try it for four or five years and don't make it. Some very few, right? Make it, right? You had a different experience, Larry. So maybe take us back to coming, you know, your college days coming out and then getting to where we are now. Sure. So just as a junior golfer, I mean, it's on varsity my freshman year. I think I was 2003, 2004 PGA Junior Series Player of the Year. So got some scholarship offers. I actually went to Ole Miss my first two years of college. Transferred back to University of Illinois, home. Really wish I should have went there all four years. Anyway, finished my college Why, career at Illinois. You transfer? So I went to Ole Miss, you know, thinking to be, I want to be on tour out of college. I got to be in warm weather. Boy, that that's just not true. That's just not true. So I transferred from Ole Miss to Illinois mainly because I'm like small. I mean, yeah. One of the best coaches. Like the man. Absolutely. Never, never do it. Got it. Yeah. And I had it been being with him for four years, I think things would have been different, but that's life, right? <laughs> anyway, yeah. I had my best playing year in college was my junior year with Mike Small was number one on the team low stroke average and then something else came into my life called the markets was obsessed with the financial markets my senior year just kind of losing my passion for golf I can't really explain why and I decided to go uh, be a derivatives trader out of college and that took a lot of time studying and preparing for all the interviews to get that job my senior year so senior year of golf at Illinois was kind of it was kind of on the down whatever the downhill for me. So I was a derivatives trader for 11 years in Chicago, lived in London, 2013 to 16. So had a great experience doing that. Golf came back into my life, 2018, just playing with some friends, some scrambles. I'm like, man, I still kind of got this. 2020, 21 was entering some amateur tournaments and had quite a bit of success. I won the 2020 Dixie Amateur. And then the Illinois State Mid-Amateur in 2021, along with some other decent amateur tournaments in the Midwest. And the way trading was going and the market's changing and golf is, my passion for it is as big as it's ever been. I'm like, let's do this. Let's turn pro and 
turned pro in November 2021. Here what? we are. So how many years of a gap was that from not picking up? I mean, are we talking yeah. not picking up a club? I did not. I did not touch a club from 2000, the end of 2009, probably through 2016. Wow. 2017. Wow. Yeah. So what we're talking like? at least seven years. <laughs> it's tell me it's what crazy that's like. I, it wasn't golf. Wasn't even on my mind. It, it just, you know, didn't even think about it. Didn't even watch it on television. And then a couple friends, Hey Larry, let's go play some golf, get out with them. And man, I still strike the ball pretty well. And it just steamrolled from there. I mean, it, it's crazy. Larry, <laughs> were you me- a lot of guys? I mean, I think we all felt it at some point. Coming out of D1 golf, you just get burnt out. Right. But did you have disdain for the game? Or I was going to ask were, the same question. It's so funny. Or were you just in a just just a totally different was it, place? Yeah. Was it in high flying around the world, or was know, it trading? disdain? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it wasn't disdain for the game. No. Honestly, I just fell in love with the financial markets and really was obsessed with like the board of trade and all the traders on the floor and wanted to go do that. It just, yeah. It, that that's mainly what took me away from golf. Not a disdain for the game. I do think going to Ole Miss for two years and kind of having that culture shock, being from Chicago down there and then switching to Illinois and some issues with some coaches here and there might have sidetracked me a little bit. But I think it was mainly just my passion for the financial markets that led me down that route, which, yeah, if I could go back and change it, of course I would now, but that's life. Your priority shifted. I mean, I'll just yeah. say this, a, a lot, you know, a, a lot of guys in senior year or junior year, I mean, want to play professionally, but just, it's just not mm-hmm. that you can't just play professionally. You need the money, you need the time, you need the family. Of course. And Larry, and, I do, took, and you were playing really good junior year, but it's just priority shifted. Yeah, exactly. And I remember thinking that, you know, do I want to go travel in my car, live out of my car right out of college? You know, the mini tours are tough and that didn't really appeal to me, but now I look at it. I turned pro when I'm 33 and it's like, I love that life. That's awesome. So yeah, yeah just a complete my, uh, perspective shift. Yeah. So what was your senior year like? Cause some people might be wondering like for context, yeah. was it easier to have interest in this other thing? Because my senior year was like, whatever. Cause you mentioned the funny thing here, Larry, is you mentioned you got to have the money. You got to have the sponsors. You got to be willing to get on the road. You got to embrace the grind. The other thing you got to have is belief. Of course. Absolutely. Number one thing you have to have. Right. Was there belief senior year? Walk us through senior year and how you made that decision. Yeah. So I was trading a small account for myself, my junior, junior year summer. And I, like I said, my passion for that was like, that was huge. So, didn't really compete in all that many tournaments out of my coming out of my junior year that summer. I come back my senior year. I I can't, I mean, it's been a long time played. Okay. But just, I know Mike small could kind of tell too, like, you know, my head wasn't in it. It was, and I could talk to him about what I was going to do after school. And it kind of just basically by the last half of spring semester, I wasn't really even competing. So the senior year, I mean, I look back on it and it's just like, man, just one more year. I mean, at the time, you know, I knew what I wanted to do and golf was just taking up too much time to get where I wanted to be. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, everything happens for a reason we can say, right. Whether you believe it or not. And I truly believe that. Yeah. And Larry, like here we are now, you know, 
you're in a, you're in a, got to this point in your life where you started playing again. You started playing real well. Obviously you won a lot, won a couple of tournaments, but I want to know, and I think our listeners want to know what was the moment these last several years where you said, I'm going to do this. I like, cause we have to tell ourselves whether it was you or my brother, yeah. Joe, I'm good enough. I am good enough to take the sleep, whether no matter where you end up, what was the moment? The moment I know exactly what it was December mid middle of December, 2020, I go down with my dad to Florida to compete in the Dixie amateur. It's like a big amateur tournament down in Southeast Florida. And at the time I'm still trading and working and trying to like manage that. I was actually just switching companies. So it was like interesting story. Like I was supposed to start December 1st at this new company. I get the call from the boss and he's like, you know what? Actually, you're going to start January 1st, 2021. So I was able to go play in this Dixie amateur. I tell my dad, I'm like, dad, let's just go win this. We're going to win this. Not really expecting to, like, I knew I was like, hadn't really, you know, it's December. I probably hadn't really played golf outside for two months being in Chicago and working anyway, go there by the fourth round. I shot five under with nine birdies and one by two. And I'm like, okay, this is let's we got that. Something. That was the moment. That was the moment for sure. Yeah. Was part the nine birdies, right? Like mm -hmm. that's what the best players do, right? And you did it exactly at elite amateur level. Yeah. So birdied my first two holes, doubled my seventh hole, and then just went on a tear. I think I made like five birdies in a row, eight through thirteen, birdied seventeen, and it was just looking back on that round and like telling my dad, "Hey, dad, we're gonna win this. Right? That's why we're here." Yeah. And to do that, mm -hmm. you know, that that was the moment where I was like, "Okay, I need to turn pro." and yeah, that seems trading. to be yeah. good story. That seems to be a trend, Serm, because even talking to our mutual best buddy Ryan, he told us the same thing out of college. People would ask him because he was always known as the best golfer. He right? played. Ryan all, played at Missouri State with me. From Ryan played at Missouri State. Ryan, okay, he's yep. our mutual best friend. It's how this whole show awesome. started. What's up, Ryan? And right. So Ryan was known as like the best amateur golfer in Missouri. We were all playing team sports. He was at golf tournaments, right? And so people would ask him after college, like, are you going to try and turn pro? He was like, I don't feel like I want the lifestyle. Regardless if I could get the money, I don't want to, I don't want that lifestyle. Right. But right. I think what I've learned from him and also all of our guests and you, Serm, is like, it's a different level to be able to shoot under par is a totally different level than being able to shoot nine under par. And it's a certain level of swagger and belief to be able to be three under and want to take it to six versus how can I keep it at three? It's a totally different mindset. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. The thing is, you know, at professional golf, you got to be shooting. If you're not shooting three under four under par consistently, you know, what are you, what are you doing? But uh, <laughs> okay. When you're three under par and you start thinking, let's get this to six, let's get this to nine. Actually, I think for me, at least it just happens and it can just be one shot, like saving a par on my eighth hole. I remember that final round of the Dixie amateur that just kind of cooled me down, almost got me in the zone and boom, five birdies later, I did almost didn't even know what happened. Yeah. So I think it's more not pressing the issue and just have, if you have that self-belief, it'll eventually come. And then when it does, you've kind of stepped that stair and your career is better for it. So I think it kind of organically happens, at least in my case. Well, let me relate what you just said to like a 
mid single digit handicap is what I am. Yeah. I remember mm-hmm. when I was playing my best golf and I was at a five, I kind of had this belief that I'm not going to freak out because at some point I'm going to get into a rhythm and I'm going to have a good stretch. So I might be starting out tight, right? I might have started yeah. off with a poor couple holes, but like at some point I'm going to get into a rhythm. And I think that's what you're saying. Like you're not out there trying to shoot nine under. You just have enough trust in your belief that you're going to get into a rhythm and let it happen as it's going to happen. Exactly. There's no, this is something I still wrestle with trying. I'm always, especially from my like analytical background in finance, it's trying, you're overthinking, overanalyzing when really my best rounds of golf always come when, and it's just whatever triggers it. It's, it's just very calm and it just happens. You just let it happen. There's not too much thinking or trying going on. Mm. Yeah, Larry, I wanna I wanna go to the go to a moment on the course, and we're gonna compare amateur versus professional. Okay, I was watching your sure. your mid Illinois mid am victory highlights. There's a great YouTube. Oh yeah, um, little yeah, montage cool. of yeah, an interview with job. you. That's cool. That was a great win a couple years ago. There was a moment you were coming down the stretch, and you were right in the hot. I think you were leading. You sculled a pitch or a chip, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> And it was, you know, it was a downhill pitch over the green, but you know, you expect to get that seven feet at worst, right? You hit right. it to 45, 50 feet. Oh yeah. And this is like, you're ready to th- potentially throw the tournament away here, right? Three putts easy. But you said, you said in the interview, I just collected myself. I looked, I looked at the putt. I visualized the putt and you made it right. Yep. 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 Oh, I remember that. That was fun. <laughs> and that was the, that, that propelled you to victory. So the question is, Larry, right? What a way to, what a way to to come back on a, in a moment in a big tournament in a big amateur tournament, and deal with adversity and, and flip it around. But professionally now, you're playing for money, right? Are these situations different? Help our listeners understand how you manage your emotions and expectations when you are playing for money. Sure. So obviously that's in the back of your mind. I mean, you're, you want to make a profit, especially on the mini tours. If you can go out there and make a profit for the year, you've got what it takes to be on the corn ferry tour. Okay. As far as the money aspect, I try not to think about that. Like my goal is to get on the corn ferry and eventually secure my PGA tour card. So like the real pressure per se, or money for me is like the Monday qualifier search just when I was recently at Q school just you know what you're playing for you know you got to make the cut and it's like you're just trying to i'm trying to climb that next step and that's more where i think the internal pressure if you want to say that comes from the money aspect like just from my background and everything it's not really in my head it's it's not obviously on tour the money's going to matter and i think it's a bigger deal then but for right now it's just kind of about climbing the next step for me does that make sense it does. And I think that's different perspective, yeah. Ev, because, you know, Larry, you know, you, you did well professionally. Ma- you, know, you, you were able, right? Versus able 23. to plan right. a little bit right. from a financial perspective. Granted, it's all about making, you know, what you want to make money out there. But I think that's, 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 that's really cool to hear. And I think that, like you said, you mentioned to me offline, I've got a mental edge over some of these young guys with my experience and maybe my outlook. So you can probably talk more about that. Yeah, well, I just think, you know, when I was trading, I mean, it's such a high pressure environment and the people you're dealing with and it's, a, it's really high pressure. So when I go play competitive golf, it's like, 
it's different. It's a different type of pressure, but like I've been through a lot of adversity in trading and, you know, one wrong click of the mouse costs you a hundred thousand dollars. And you're like, how do you come back from that? And that's, that happens. And when that, I look back on that, I'm like, I mean, I was able to face that adversity and get the day back on track. So I'm like, and I still feel that transfers to my golf. Like, and I've been talking with my mental coach, Morgan Wolin. I don't know if you guys know her. She's, she's amazing. Um, she's like, Larry, you come back, you play better with your back against the wall. When I was a pre pre-qualifying for Q school, I was outside the number, I believe by four shots with 12 holes to play. And I birdied six of my last 12 to make it by two. So maybe I'm getting sidetracked here, but no, this is great. Keep going. I'm trying to get to the mental state where I almost start a tournament feeling like I'm coming from behind because mm. that's when I've played my best. That happened at the Dixie amateur. It happened at the 2021 Illinois mid amateur and then pre-qualifying for Q school again so there's something to that that for me playing almost a feeling like i'm coming from behind my back's against the wall i deal well in those situations like i thrive there so i'm trying to get to the point where i can trick my mind almost at the start of a tournament to think like that or just get that you know the subconscious feeling that i'm coming from behind hmm. i want to dig yeah. into this more because i want to help people figure out their own mental edge but mm -hmm. for a second to the passengers on the train with us right now, stay with me because I want to go back to that scold chip for one second at the Dixie Amateur. Uh, people... Illinois Mid-Am. Yeah. Oh, that was at the Illinois Mid-Am. Okay. Yeah. Give people a little bit of context of where you were in the tournament, what hole you were on. I want to understand the meaning of this chip. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm glad you asked that because that it's just good insight probably for your listeners. Um. That happened on the 17th hole, the final round. I believe it on the 16th hole, right before that long par three, one of the toughest holes on the course, three iron into a 15 mile per hour wind, hit it to six feet. I missed the putt. And at that point, I was, I think I was two shots back of the leader who I was playing with. 17th hole, I had to punch out of the trees after my tee shot. I'm in, the pin is middle right, and I'm, and the green's severe back to front. And I'm in the back right on hard pan. So I really didn't have a shot. It would have been great to get it to 10 feet. But with the hard pan and just kind of the pressure of being on the 17th hole and having to do something, hit a terrible chip, scold it, rolled to the front of the green. I've got a 50-foot putt for par to even have a chance, right? Some, somehow I just collected myself and I'm like, okay, let's just visualize this going in and put a good stroke on it. That's all I told myself. And... Boom, went up to it, went through my routine, just visualized it, and it, boom, it, it happened. And the leader at that time ended up three-putting for bogey. Oh. So that now it's a one-shot deficit for me going into 18. I birdie, he pars, we go to a three-hole playoff, and I think I won by two strokes, three strokes in that playoff. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it was yeah. a really cool moment. Yeah. In a moment, like, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that last tee shot, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and I'm even getting a little jacked up thinking about it. You've <laughs> awesome. That feeling you got on the 18th tee is probably the feeling you're looking for of this. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, I do the momentum shifted. I'm one stroke behind all the pressures on him. Let's fucking go. I think that's <laughs> what we're all looking for to play with. Right. 
Evan, that's, I tell myself that LFG, let's fucking go. Like, I'm pretty sure I told myself that on the 18th P like, let's fucking go, Larry. Let's do this. And I, I perform like, yes, I perform well when I, with that type of attitude. And obviously the circumstances, like if you're three over par in the second round of some mini tour event, like it's hard to get that attitude going, but the more, the closer I can get to that feeling and that LFG, like let's fucking go that there's something to that. For sure. You know, the, the back against the wall mentality is really something, right? And I think yeah. it's the classic, the classic amateur story, or even good player is, you know, 40 on the front, 36 on the back. W- what happened? Like, how, what, you know, or, you know, 45, 39. I have found myself like, you know, like just, just kicking myself right in the butt on the ninth hole. Like, what are you doing? Get a hold of yourself. Focus, right? You're he talking about saying like, that to himself. What are you doing? Like, like but Larry, yeah. you're talking about this. You're finding a way to do it when you warm up before the term, right? Because everybody That's what wants, I'm working on. Yep. And, th- and that helps that helps you focus, right? It helps you not just be aggressive, but strategic, aggressive. My plan. I'm not I'm not losing sight of this early, right? Exactly. It gets you. It, it, I think that attitude gets me more focused from the get go, as opposed to la di da da. Let's you know start with a few pars and just let's just like try to make wait, a smooth, wait for smooth swing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's more like let's get this going from the first tee shot and let's play aggressively. Hey guys, I got something a bit unusual for you, so stay seated, keep those seatbelts fast, and we'll get you right back on track. This is a bit weird, but stay with me. All right. Tara and I were talking. Tara's reading this book right now. Tara's my wife, by the way. Um, if you haven't listened to her episode from St. Andrews, you probably should. But she's been reading this book about mouth breathing. And I had always been really scared about this idea of taping my mouth to sleep, feeling like I'm, you know, claustrophobic or feeling like I'm not going to be able to breathe in the night. And the thing she told me that was fascinating is your body, your nose pathway rewires when the only pathway it has is through the nose. And there's all these health benefits, right? That's not what this is about. But I tried it. Okay, I tried it the last three nights. I taped my mouth. And the thing that this is about is my sleep performance on my whoop has been 99%, 100%, and 100%. When I was living in Europe, it was really hard for me to get green recoveries. And the last three nights, I'm in the green. And I think the moral of the story is no matter what you want to try, no matter what you're testing, no matter what food you take out of your diet, no matter what exercise you add in, no matter what crazy thing you do to your sleep, the ability to the next morning see how it affected you and then be able to see that data over time, it's so valuable. I can't describe to you how valuable it is. I feel like we're so into data in golf, but in our bodies, we're not. So I'm telling you guys, the ability to get the data and immediate feedback of what's working for you in your body and also in your mind when you're stepping up to the tee box to see how much it stresses you out, it's just so much fun and so important to be able to track that and get real feedback. So go to join.whoop.com slash partrain and get a free whoop for a month because if you don't believe me, try it for free for a month. If you don't like it, you send it back. Okay, It's all free. Zero risk. So join.whoop.com slash partrain and give yourself a free whoop for a month. I'm telling you, you guys will love it. All right, let's get back to the show. Let me ask you this, Larry, because I always try and channel the passengers while we're uh, while we're interviewing people. 
And a lot of times what I hear from my fellow passengers in my ear is probably easy for him to say, right? It's so far, and I don't know a ton about you. This is my first time meeting you. Would you say the game came easy to you? And can you give context on when it was difficult? Because I think that's going to be a key thing maybe we dig in on is how can I feel like my back's against the wall? How can I play aggressive? How can I be offensive? How can I compete when I'm feeling so tentative over the ball and I haven't seen great results and I don't really know where the ball's going? But ironically, Larry, getting to the mindset of let's fucking go a lot of times produces better results, but a lot of times it's really hard to get there from being fearful and tentative. So maybe talk about struggles you've had and how you make that switch. Sure. Sure. So I think that's really a mental toughness Mm. and it comes at the professional level. It really comes down to your deep belief in yourself. We're not like, to be, to be fair, my first two years now, just about two years as being a professional, have the results been anywhere near what my goals are? No. It, it's been kind of difficult. Um, but I just have such a deep belief deep down that I'm going to do this. So that keeps me going. Um, as far as getting into that attitude to start, you almost, I mean, this is what I talk about with my mental coach. You almost kind of have to trick yourself. Hmm. And, and however you do that is fine. But it, you are kind of tricking yourself into like coming from behind, like, and you just got to get that little extra pump going on the first tee. I, th- I think you kind of just have to experiment with what works for you. For me, I literally just tell myself, and I just kind of came to this realization within the past month, two months, but it's more, I just tell myself like, I got, I got to, you know, I'm f- five shots behind the cut line or five, whatever. And I just, just mentally trick myself by that first tee to mm. um, get it going. And my play at Q school, which recent play was okay. Um, and I think it's working. So yeah, it's, this, it's this kind of re- a revelation Ferry? I've had. Corn Ferry, Corn Ferry school? Tour Q school. Yeah. 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 In September, this past September and October. So yeah. what was, what's been your lowest moment on the golf course? My, lo- my lowest say? moment whew, as a professional, just in general, in general, well, I remember my junior year at Illinois, I think I shot 87 in, at Big Tens. And this, this is actually really good. I something like an 86, 87 at Big Tens, uh, just feeling terrible. Um, and then we go, Mike Small decides to still take me to, um, that was my junior year when I was still playing well, but that was terrible performance at Big Tens. Regionals, NCAA regionals at Ohio State's courses in like two weeks from there. And I was still down from big tens and Mike small one. Of the, and I still remember this. One of the best things he told me, he's like, Larry, just go out there and be a fucking athlete, go be an athlete. Like, and that all comes down to visualizing imagery and just letting it happen. Um, but those words, be an athlete, like really embracing that. Um, and I, I, so to finish the story, ended up finishing ninth, ninth place at regionals. We've got Ricky Fowler there. Billy Horschel, all those guys. So to go from shooting 86 then and then performing that well at NCAA regionals, I thought was really cool. And it's a simple little sentence from Mike Smalls, you know, go be an athlete. And that triggered me and got me going. Did you beat any of those guys? I'd have to look. I can't remember, to be honest. It was like Webb Simpson, a bunch of good, you know, all the guys on tour now. Top 10 with major winners and 
it's Larry, just a good example though. It, it's a great example. And I think what's so important, yeah. to, one of the things I take away from this, especially, and I think our listeners need to as well, is like, like you need that swagger. You need to LFG pumped up, but that's combined with being strategic. That's combined right. with being methodical because I know, you, you know, you've talked to us in the show. Sometimes we want to get pumped up and be aggressive and like you lose all sight of your plan out there. So right, right. It's, it's this combination of swagger, your backs against the wall, warrior mentality, but you are as methodical and as and so in your routine. And that's what and that's what brings out the success. Exactly. It's not like you're you know, I'm not trying to say I'm trying to go out there banging my chest and <laughs> going crazy. No, it, it that this let's fucking go mentality gets me in almost a calmer state. Cause I know that's when I perform my best. So yeah, there's a fine balance between being tr- like too pumped up and yes, your routine being calm out there and just like letting things happen. There's, there's a fine balance there, of course. And I think yeah. people hate hearing so often, like if you're struggling off the tee, it's just like, why do you care so much? Just let it go. Right. And that's easier said than done. Right. Especially if you've been struggling with a certain miss, but a way to combat that and figure that out is, do you have a target? Do you take the same amount of time behind the ball as you do? You know? Yep. Yep. You, I mean, you know, I always tell even the, like the good amateur players I play with now, like, or, you know, I've helped a couple of college guys coming through high school, get into college. And like, you see them and they're, they, they, they have this tendency to carry their past shots with them. Like, okay, you hit a bad one off the tee. You really have to have the skill of saying, you know, you can get pissed off for five to 10 seconds. Okay. But by the time you're at that next shot, you got to say to yourself, what's in front of me. I like to, I, that's, that's my cue yeah, to get me line. back in the present. What's, what's my shot here? What's in front of me. And that really does work for me, but yeah, carrying past shots or with you is a recipe for disaster at all levels of golf. You guys yeah. know that. Yeah. It's one yeah. of the hardest, hardest things to do. It's right? hard. How, it, easier said than done. Of course. How can I step into I just did a playing lesson with Rick Sessinghouse, who's coached Colin Morikawa for 18 years. Yeah, I hit like a really, almost a hosel, like, oh, like geez. 50 yards <laughs> right, five iron. And he goes, what happened there? And I go, you know, I think subconsciously, I was still thinking about the five iron I fanned right mm. three holes ago. You know, right. sometimes it's just there. But let me ask you this, Larry, going back to the 87, what happened in the 87? Just, you know, it's like a long time, long time ago, uh, just the game wasn't there. And on a tough golf course, when I believe the weather was kind of difficult, man, like all of a sudden, and maybe I was mentally immature at the time too, to maybe not fight a little harder, but boy, I, I know you guys know too, like when days when you just don't have it, you know, that's going to happen. And it just kind of snowballed into a terrible event. Um, but it's like, okay, I go from my worst event ever up to that point in my life to one of the best in a matter of two weeks. And that's all mental. That was purely mental. Yeah. It's so easy to get caught in the physical trap. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it wasn't physical. Were you trying to like, were you trying to like think swing keys and technical thoughts and trying to fix stuff out there during the 87 or did you just mail it in or all the above? Uh, All the above, not mailing it. I, I, I want to say I've never really like played around a golf where I just mailed it in, but you know, when it's not going your way and things are just spiraling out of control, it's tough to really stay, uh, 
mentally focused and, you know, grind it out. Um, so, but yeah, I'm sure there were a lot of swing thoughts that day going on and a lot, way too much thinking. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to dig into now being 37 and having a mental edge. One thing though, that maybe we can use as a jumping off point to that is what you're talking about is kind of reminding me of how amazing the things Tiger Woods has said over his career, where when you think about like everyone knows Tiger Woods is so mentally tough, right? The best mental player probably ever people were intimidated by him, but a lot of people may not know what that means. Let me give what I think it means. And then you see how much you, you know, um, identify with that as we talk okay, cool. and transition into yours. To me, every time I've heard Tiger talk about things and his toughness, it's that he gives every single shot his absolute all. He fights as if he's on the 18th hole to win a Masters or with a chance to win a Masters in every single shot. He has the back against the wall. This is the most important shot in the world. To the amateur player, it probably kind of feels like a, I've made the analogy of like a, a horse race and a member guest where every shot you could be out of the tournament, right? right? It seems like he has, it's so exhausting to think about, but I think that's what he did. Do you identify with that? Is that similar to the fight back against the wall mentality you're referencing? Absolutely, because you have to, yes, your focus on each shot, you have to give it your all on each and every shot. And it's very easy if things aren't going your way to kind of maybe not, you know, maybe only you give it 60% of your full awareness, attention and all, you know, everything. Um, obviously, Tiger was the best at that. Um, I also think Tiger, I've heard him talk about how he went like some of his best rounds. He he didn't really rem like he was just lost in the moment, right? Like being present and just really that gives you that focus that you need to be able to execute your shots at a hundred percent of your you know that's, your ability. That's that what day. I was going to say next, Larry, because the back against the wall and all these things. But you, you it's got to you got to find a way to be present because you go snap hook that tee shot. Ten seconds later you got to get that out of your mind. That has nothing to do with this next shot, right? That's Absolutely. under the trees and we've got to. So that's what Tiger has done, done the best. It's like always getting back to present. And it mm -hmm. sounds like it's what you've really broken through with, with all the work you're doing. That's the hard, that's yeah. what's so hard about yeah. this game is like you said, sometimes you're just 60% present on that next shot. <laughs> right. And that, you know, if that, if that happens three as a professional golfer, you let that happen two or three times around, that's going to add up. So yeah, the, it's a big deal. Um, the biggest thing for me, of course, just go, what's in front of me. What, what do I got right here? Like you just have to let it go. If you want to get yeah. mad for five to 10 seconds, fine, but you got to let it go, man. All right. The train's going to make a quick stop. Stay seated. We'll get this train right back on track. But first, I've got an incredible idea for you guys for a gift. We're nearing Black Friday season and the holidays. And I think it's not talked about enough that subscriptions are a great gift. And I've got the perfect gift, the gift that'll make a difference in any golfer's life. But the gift that they don't always get themselves, so they don't pay attention to. It's your glove, okay? Not enough golfers are replacing their glove quick enough. So I got an idea for you. You go to redroostergolf.com slash par train, or you can just go to redroostergolf.com, sign up for a subscription for, for yourself, for a friend, for a family member. 
I think it's like 20 bucks a month or something. Get yourself a new glove. You can set the frequency. You can pause it at any time. And boom, someone gets a new glove every month or every couple months without expecting it. It's an amazing surprise. The gloves are the best in the game. And get yourself a Partrain glove. We still got some left. A little enjoy the ride with a super clean green logo. You can get that at redroostergolf.com slash partrain. And if you enter the code train, you can get 20% off. So all good things. You get it for a discount. You surprise your friends and family with it, or you get it for yourself. So redroostergolf.com slash partrain for the partrain glove, or sign up for a subscription. All right, let's get back to the show. You know what I yeah. just realized, Sir? I don't think we've ever talked about this before, but we always talk, we've always heard about stay present. The next shot's the most important shot. Um, but I think what I just realized in this moment is that that shot's a shot fight. I think that has to come with belief because it's really easy when you play your worst golf. And I can empathize with this, maybe anyone. I played the worst golf of my life this last year. Um, I think when you don't have self-belief and you're so in the negative that it's really easy to rush. It's really easy to get over with. It's really easy to not focus. But when you're, when you're starting to hit it good and you're starting to have some belief, I think focus and focus on the next shot and that fight comes easier. So I think you're right, Larry. I think you have to almost convince yourself and trick yourself into thinking like, I don't care what I've done up to this point. That probably has something to do with the fact that I haven't focused. I haven't fought. I haven't stayed in it. I haven't thought about what I needed to do. Like all of that stuff that's hard to do when you're struggling is the fight that we're talking about. You don't need to be hitting it good to have the fight. I think you arguably need Absolutely to or when you're not hitting it good. All right. Keep that fight going. Yes. It comes from that deep belief, whether, and, and if you're, a 10 handicap out there, you know, what are your goals? And you, you have to have that. If you want to get down to a four, three handicap, you have to have that belief that you can do it. And if you're putting in the work, you're going to know deep down that, that that fight is going to take care of itself, right? You're going to have that inner strength to keep going. The biggest thing though, is just, you got to let bad shots go. You just got to let it go and you got to move on to what's in front of you. So you know what, I know I'm know repeating what, myself. But, well, Larry, I actually have a question <laughs> about what you just said about because we want to talk about an eight handicap trying to get to a four handicap. I do want to talk about that. But this, this conversation has made me think about, you know, when you're not playing well, it's so easy to say by the 12th or 13th hole, it's just not my day, right? You know, you made some good swings, but you got some bad bounces, a couple of lip outs, and you just can't do that. Now, when you finish the round and you look back and you gave everything you got and, and you were present, <clears throat> you fought, yeah, maybe it just wasn't my day. But when you're in it, when you're in the round, that you can't say those words. You just can't. Right. No, <laughs> because what if you, okay, you're having a bad round through 13 holes, but what if something clicks in those last five holes and say you birdie three of your last five, and then you take that to your next round or your next competition? That's, that's how you get better. You get better through the adversity and the tough rounds. And then when you have, you're having that tough day and you come back from it in that round, that's, I don't think there's a better feeling. And then you can take that going forward. So that that's huge. And that's, you know, that's why you got to be mentally tough and have that fight, even when it's not going your way. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, uh, I was joking with Sir. I had maybe my worst round of the year a couple, maybe a week ago. 
And I think it was on the 13th or 14th hole at Rustic Canyon. It's really probably my favorite course in Los Angeles public. And I came this far away from uh, hole in one. And uh, it was just a freaking laser eight iron zipped back and almost went in. And it just reminded me that like that moment can happen at any time. None of us have ever had even your 87, Larry. At Big Ten, yeah. I bet you you yeah. hit an incredible shot that day. It, one, I'm sure there was. I can't remember, but yeah. it's, it's, you know we're talking yeah. what is it, 17 years ago. Uh, yeah. yeah, so but I even our remember. worst rounds, we usually have a moment, right? And then I think that's what we Absolutely. have to take away. So let me ask you this, Larry: You're 37. Are you 37 36. or 36? 36. 36. Come on, don't He's be gone. aging him, Ev. You know what? That's Serm's fault. Serm knows <laughs> that he put 30. it in the document and he set me up for failure. You know, we're, we're all the same age. He's a young buck. 36, 36, 36 is a great number. I'm 36 as well. Although it's weird to say 36 is a weird number to say. (laughs) I feel weird about 36. So, you know, okay. Serm's 35, whatever. All right. So you're 36. You made the call last two years. You went pro what help articulate the mental edge that you have against the young bucks on the mini tours trying to gain status to the corn ferry and then above is it simply because i think one of the hardest things about being a pro we've interviewed so many different pros on this show is it's almost impossible to not be rooted in results when your livelihood is upon every swing is you having a successful career in finance and i'm sure giving yourself some runway to go after and chase this dream is that where the toughness comes from or is it in other other areas? I think it absolutely comes from that. Knowing, you know, what's out there outside of professional golf, like, do I want to go sit in front of computer screens for 13 hours a day anymore? No, like I know what else is out there. And it's like, I get to try to reach my dreams doing this. Like that, like I know what else is out there where, as opposed to some, you come straight out of college, you're playing and you're really, yeah, you're obsessed with your results and that's your livelihood. And if you start to associate, well, golf, you know, I am what I produce on the golf course. Like I know that that's not how, you know, I don't think like that. Cause I've, I I've learned a lot of mental toughness skills from trading and dealing with adversity and just knowing like, you know, what else is out there outside of professional golf? Like it's, it's, it's not everything I'm able to separate the two. And I think, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, no, I think that's great, Larry, but I'll, I'll dig in a little deeper. I want to know how you, yeah. how do you set goals and how do you judge yourself against these goals now that you're, you know, a professional talk about that because amateur players are always looking for that jump, right? How to get to that 12 to a nine. And I think the very interesting jump is the seven to like a two. And that's what I'm, I'm going for. But, but oftentimes too concerned about the number of a two handicap, like, so you're trying to make a jump, so to speak. So is Evan. How do you go about it to maintain those healthy expectations? Sure. I mean, for me, you know, my goal is to be on to win on the PGA Tour, and that might sound very lofty, but I think you have to have like an a dream or a a, a lofty goal to to set your course. Now, day to day, like I'm not a big like goal setter week to week. And of course I want to be on the corn ferry tour and do all that, but it's like, I know ultimately where I want to be. And that, that I'm able to, you know, then work 
backwards from that and and just that's my overarching goal and like that's what motivates me you know i yeah. want to reach my dreams i want to you know help other people through reaching my dreams and you know that's what keeps me going um it's not so much like i want to go finish this to like not really specific goals it's just Wait, one overarching that's that's goal the purpose me. there's some yeah, greater purpose yeah. there that i think sometimes right. we lack or lose sight of and that's got to be that's got to be big for you yeah i i do really believe that like what God put in my heart in winning the Dixie amateur in 2020, like this is meant to be, I don't know what the course is going to look like on the way there, but it's meant to be. So I'm going to mm. give it my all. This is what I'm meant to do. And that just gives me the inner peace and belief that I'm doing the right things and, you know, on my way to doing that. So that gives me inner peace knowing that. Yeah. That's, you that's know, my belief. I love that. You know what else is yeah. cool, Larry, by doing it, let's just call it a backwards path right? From the norm. The cool thing about that is you've already established your identity and you probably already know because the best thing that I've learned across business and golf and success in general is you have to embrace failure. The best companies celebrate failure. Fail fast, learn from it, keep going. The companies I've been at, some of the biggest companies that everybody yeah. knows that didn't embrace failure, had terrible culture. You've already, you probably give yourself the comfort of if this doesn't work out, I'll be okay. I can go back and do what I was doing. I can figure out something else to do. Whereas a 22 year old, they don't, everything is up to this point as them being a golfer and making it, which puts so much more pressure. Do you, do you, and not being, that? not being in the real world too? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, no, I, I totally agree with that. I've seen what else is out there. I know what else is out there. I mean, just from being 36 versus 22, you learn a lot. I mean, just so much more mature than in my early 20s. But just knowing what else is out there, yeah, I mean, of course, the markets are always going to be there. Maybe there's something else in golf. But, man, I don't I don't really, like, think too much about, like, oh, well, if I don't make it. Like, that thought yeah. kind of pisses me off. In <laughs> Like when people are like, well, what are you going to do if you don't make it? Well, I'm not even thinking about that because I just have one. There's no plan B. There's no plan B. And that's all. No, but that's your mantra. That's what we've talked about today. Like, right. There's no plan against the wall. I'm locked in. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. That that, that kind of ties into that. Exactly. I love Mm -hmm. that. So have you are, have you ever, it's a fun question. Have you ever made a wrong click and lost a hundred grand? Yes. Once. And that's what kind of probably why I told that story. Can we talk and about course, that a little bit? I think that's actually really sure. fascinating for people to hear about. Yeah. Um, like I said, I mean, trade, it's very high pressure, very fast environment. You got to be quick, got to go with numbers. And it's a really fast paced environment. And boy, when you're putting those inputs into your models and pricing things out and you click the wrong input and it sends all that information out to the market that you're streaming live quotes in the market. Well, yeah, that's how you lose $100,000. And that happened to me, I want to say three years into my career. But I, of course, I thought I'd be fired instantly. Wasn't and came back from it and did quite well. So, so what went through I your know mind what, when you did it? Oh, I I think I almost blacked out. Like I was so nervous and scared and it, it was not fun. But I do remember coming back from that in a financial sense at the company that I worked for and like, was ultimately I want to take better for it. Like it really fired me up to make that back and 
right that mistake. So, yeah, I mean, I think that taught me some mental toughness and like, you know, don't give up. Don't lose your cool here. Like, let's get this back on track. And over a course of a few weeks, sure, I ended up doing that. Like, you, that, I you think see, that applies to golf, right? Like, You yeah. see the pattern here, sir? When oh, Larry yeah. makes a mistake, some people, if I made a wrong click for $100,000, <laughs> I would be like wanting to like curl into a ball and be like, fuck, what do I do? I'm, I'm an idiot. I can't believe, what do I do? But the thing that I've picked out about you so far is when you make a mistake, you get more fired up to come back from it. So it actually gets, yeah. it gives you energy. Right. I mean, at, in the trading world, you make a mistake like that, that. You can certainly just walk up from your desk and leave and then you're fired and there's no coming back. But in that moment, there's really no time to uh, think about it too much because you have to fix it. <laughs> get things back on track so it's almost like it, it taught me to like just let go of mistakes really quick and like yeah it gives me energy to like get back let's let's get this back let's evan for let's, uh, let's do this right yeah. some context the chicago board of trade <laughs> okay it's one of the most beautiful buildings in chicago there's a bar at the bottom called series oh, series. Oh, and yeah. when you go into series and let's say you ask for your jack and coke they give you a can of coke and a glass of jack that's how they serve drinks there. So either you're going in to really celebrate or you're going in to really drown yourself in the sorrows, right? Larry? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I have a lot of stories. I know guys that would be in there at 6am before the market opened right. doing uh, yeah, the full glass of the Jack, not even drinking the Coke or taking lunch breaks at series. Oh yeah. Right. I'm familiar. <laughs> Larry, one thing I, you know, we got a few minutes left, a few more questions for you. One thing I, I want to ask maybe on behalf of our listeners, a lot of uh, times like middle handicap players, you know, get told, you know, from they'll hear from tour players or from good players, you need to be working on your short game. You just, you're not, you know, and it's, it's kind of a classic story, spending too much time at the range, not enough time with your short game, but let's dig a little deeper. What would you say to those players specifically about their short game, Larry, where, you know, maybe pick out an area, you know, wedge play, pitching, chipping, putting, or what's something that's really kind of maybe clicked for you sure. and all the work you've done. And how to do it, how to yeah. practice that area. Oh, that, of course. Um, I would say, I mean, Mike Small would always say too, it doesn't matter how good you hit it. Can you chip and putt? Can you chip and putt? Yep. Chipping and putting. I would say you're chipping, not flop shots, not bunker shots, just chipping. Can you get it within that three foot circle per se? Can't, you know, get your up and down percentages up. That's the low hanging fruit. Um, and then putts from three to 10 feet. You can't practice enough of that. You, you just can't. That That's my two cents there. You can't spend enough time around the greens. You just can't. Well, so our, our coach yeah. usually made us end practice with having to chip four in and get 50 up and downs or something. That always right. kind of brought the fight out in players. You couldn't go home if you didn't do it. Is that what maybe you would say to like, some amateur absolutely or... so as far as evan and you said you know how do you practice correctly sitting there with a shag bag and hitting the same shot 50 times in a row isn't going to get you better you have to create a game for yourself one game i like to play like if i'm on my own just play a nine hole match where i have to you know just an up and down simple chips or whatever for nine holes i have to shoot two under par before i can leave I mean, and you'd be surprised once you get to that seventh or eighth hole or seventh hole and you're one under like there's some pressure there and that translates to competition. So just being 
mindful of your practice and taking your time, not rushing ball, flanking over ball over ball, you know, hitting to the same target, switch up your targets, try different shots with different clubs, but make, you got to have some type of competition going on with your practice. If you ultimately want to get better, I think. I and, and just so I'm clear, are you saying it's not how many balls two... you hit? It's not how many balls you chip or putt. I mean, you really have to each shot, each putt should matter. Yeah. You know, you need to get, that's how you learn. Practice is learning, right? Like, you, you know, if you're out there just not learning while well, you're probably just wasting your time. Is the two under specifically a short game game or is that you playing nine holes? No, just a short game game. So I. So what's the par Coghill. on like, uh, like talk me through that. Uh, it's, it's, you're chipping sorry. for birdie and putting for par, right? Yeah. It's just a simple up and down 15 Got yard it. chip from the fairway, you know, get it there, make the putt, you're even par. If you oh, hold the chip, you're one under. I Got might it. sometimes I'll take a really tough shot, say if try to make something like uh, your third shot in on a par five, 30 yards out from the rough to a tight pin. Maybe that's birdie if I hit that up and down. Got Maybe it. one or two of those within the game. Guys, yeah. you need to make some to move on and win. <laughs> uh, if you're going to do easy chips, yes, then you need to. Yes. You, can, you can do it any way you want. Yeah, I remember Larry and Ev when I was a kid, like when the green was all to myself late in the evening, we were practicing was grab the 56, grab the putter, drop. You got to drop, not placing, and then hit your chip, hit your pitch, and then bring your clubs, mark your ball, go through your routine. Right. And, yep, yep, but that's yep. what, you, that's what you're digging into is like, you need to simulate exactly what it would be like playing in a corn fairy qualifier. Right. Like exactly. Yeah. Very, very well said. I mean, going through your routine, making it game like, like you're on the course is so important. It's tough to do in practice, but if you want to get better, that's, that's the way you got to treat it. Absolutely. So Larry, this has been great. I know we're almost at time. Let's maybe end with this. Or maybe we got one more after this is um, what is, you've probably played with a ton of amateurs over the years beyond the short game. That's a given any common mistakes that you think, 10 handicaps, five to 15 handicaps, let's say, make that simply your mindset would eliminate or your learnings or your insights would eliminate? I would say two two things come to mind is you want to try to get that ball pin high. Good players get mm -hmm. it pin high. But trying to hit your clubs full and, and smoke the eight iron 180 yards, get, just try to get the ball pin high. As far as mental, I'd say amateurs, what I see is they carry they carry bad shots with them and it ruins their rounds, like we talked about earlier. Letting that go after five to ten seconds, sure, get pissed off, but just let it go. Ask yourself what's in front of me. And that 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 works for me. So yeah. So you're I saying you instead, of, instead of trying to muscle everything full, maybe swing a little bit easier, take a little extra club. Is that what you're saying? Sure. Whatever, example? whatever's going to get, whatever's going to give you the highest probability of getting that ball pin high. You get, got so it. just got to be more strategic and that's different. Yeah. Or mind, be, just be mindful and strategic. Sure. Yeah. But that's a good example though, because Sarm, like for, I think what Larry's saying is you have to have enough understanding and awareness of what works for you. So for me, if I know that my, my dispersion gets tighter when I have to hit a full eight than a soft seven, right? So maybe that's a good learning for me. In other cases, Absolutely. you know, <clears throat> some people might be the opposite. So right. 
Larry, of everything we talked about today, is there anything we didn't cover that you want to say? Or is there anything we talked about that you really want to hammer home for people to remember? And Larry, as part of that answer, tell us why this game is so special. Mm. Okay. Never asked that. Uh, I'm not missing anything on my part that I want to discuss. I think it's awesome how we talked about the LFG attitude. I think that's awesome. That's something I'm working on. <laughs> you me. know, Larry, um, we have an LFG podcast series, series, series. Yeah. every month. That's 10 minutes yeah. over music. Maybe. That'll pump you the fuck up. FYI. I, I've listened to them. I've listened okay. to them. <laughs> there we go. Maybe that's where that came from too, subconsciously. Yeah. <laughs> um, what makes the game so special is just, I think it's just this quest to see how good you can be, mm. right? I mean, you can never perfect it, but just whether you want to win your club championship or win on the PGA Tour, I mean, at every level, it's just how good can I be? And I think that that goes on your entire life. So, mm. Yeah. And just learning about yourself out there, you know, how about your own mental toughness and your own weaknesses and just trying to get better at that. I mean, it's just amazing. I'm yeah. pretty fired up right now, sir. Are you fired up? Very fired up. <laughs> LFG. Yeah. Larry, this is, this has been amazing. But Larry, to, you know, what's great about that? So many of us get caught up in the, what if on the negative, yeah. what if I miss it? What's going to happen if I embarrass myself? But what you're saying is, what if it all goes right? It's po- what you what you just said is one of the most um, valuable switches to go from fear to possibility. Right. And exactly. Spoke to. Yeah. Who, who? I mean, I mean, what are people going to judge you from a bad shot? Maybe for two seconds. They're they're involved in their own game. They don't really care that much. Like yeah. they're not that important. So like, don't let your ego, you know, take over and say. Oh man, he's saying that about my swinger. Like, no, just let it go. <laughs> Love it. it well, go. where can people find you, Larry? Oh, where can people find me? I'm uh, I'm on Instagram, Larry Blatt, L Blatt Twelve. Yeah, I'm just Instagram and Facebook. L Blatt Twelve. Yeah, L B L A T T Twelve. And okay. Larry, t- and tell us maybe your before you sign off your upcoming schedule of tournaments and where we should be looking out for sure. you, what you're, you're going to be doing. Yeah, so I, I obviously missed uh, at Q School at first stage by seven shots. So the goal is to get on the Corn Ferry. I, I'll be moving to Florida come January through April, competing in the multiple Monday qualifiers for both the Corn Ferry and PGA Tour events down there. And then there's also a great mini tour down there in Florida called the Minor League Golf Tour, um, just to get the reps in and yep. try to get that first professional win. That's where I'll be. So, yeah, and then just trying to get to the Corn Ferry. Love it. Well, Love your back's continue. against the wall, Larry. It, yeah, it is. Yeah. So That's I'm embracing that play. attitude. And uh, I think there's something to that. Yeah. So awesome. Well, thanks for hopping aboard today. I think people are going to get a lot out of this. Okay, great. I hope so. Guys, thanks for having me. This is this this is awesome. Really appreciate it. Great to see you, Larry. Yeah, it was fun. All right, guys. Take care. Hey, guys. This is Evan. Real quick before you hop off the train, I got something for you. It's called the Train of Thought. It's our new email newsletter. Would you like to get one nugget, insight, or thought that we're pondering every week that could help keep you sharp and help your mental game? Go to thepartrain.com and subscribe to the Train of Thought newsletter today. It's really the best way to enjoy the ride. See you guys.